0: Well, uh, I get the blessing of not preaching today because one of my best friends in the world, John Wilhelm, gets to preach this morning. John and Katie uh, have been invested in foster and adoption. You can come up. Uh, John and Katie have been invested in foster and adopt ministries here in San Antonio for eight years, nine Uh, years? Almost 10 years. Almost 10 years. And just a few years ago, uh, God... Uh, just brought together this amazing team and said, John, what if we started an agency that was so based on Jesus that it didn't matter how many children we placed, we would still focus on the right families for the right child, we wouldn't feel pressured to do anything, but, but that we would just trust on the leading of God, we wouldn't worry about because, you know, foster adopt ministries they, sometimes they feel pressured to put kids in homes that aren't the right fit for the sake of the finances and it's just not right And so One Hope for Kids was started with an amazing dream of waiting on the Holy Spirit to place children. And that's exactly what it's doing through churches all over San Antonio. And I am just so honored that you guys are part of this church. I'm so honored that you're my friend. And um, I'm just so thankful that you get to preach to your church this morning about what's deep, deep in your heart. So would you welcome John Wilhelm this morning?
1: Thank you, John. Um, I really appreciate it, and thanks for saying nice things about me. We meet regularly. He could have said a lot of not nice things about me. So, I'm. Um, good morning. I'm so happy to be with you guys, and um, it's been a long time kind of since John and I met that we've talked over and over about when was a good time to... Uh, share the burden that Katie and I carry that is on God's heart for this church family. And uh, I'm excited that, that you feel it's a, a good time for this now the church is ready for it. Um, and so uh, I look forward to sharing with you guys. Um, my wonderful wife Katie's back there. Wave, honey. She's, I, I like people to meet her quickly because they like me better because they're like, oh, if she married him, he must be a good guy. Um, <laughs> But just a a tiny little uh, history of where we come from. We met in college and both had a heart to serve the Lord full time, uh, particularly in the persecuted church. And so we actually, after uh, graduation, went through a a Bible program and then uh, we uh, started as Bible smugglers and smuggled Bibles to the underground church in the Soviet Union and um, learned Russian. It was Uh, Considering my my wild background, it was fun because it was like James Bond for Jesus. You know, I got to break the law for God. That was all right with me. Uh, But then it was uh, crazy. We got to see history unfold in front of us as the Iron Curtain fell. And it was while we were there that we met our wonderful friends, Herschel and Lucy. They were planning a church in Munich. Uh, We were living closer to Eastern Europe at any time We were in the West. We would come to church with them. That's where that friendship started. So that's been at least three or four years ago, Um, right? But it was actually after the Iron Curtain fell that God kind of started to put a burden in our hearts for um, the fatherless. Because one thing that became quickly known after the Iron Curtain opened was there were thousands and thousands of orphanages all over uh, the east, the Warsaw Pact countries, Russia, and uh, we actually worked, uh, got to work in a few of those orphanages in Romania in particular and just saw uh, God's heart for his kids and um, We ended up uh, working in a whole bunch of different areas. Went into then, got to work with Herschel and Lucy in a church in Springfield. That was kind of like purgatory, but it wasn't their fault. It was a challenging church. Herschel was not purgatory. Herschel is, he's right next to Jesus. But um, then we, then we got to help him. Oh, that's Lucy. Okay, I agree. Uh, (laughs) Then we got to help them with a church plant that they were restarting in Kingwood, and then God moved us over, and we, we got to work in all kinds of different fields, but um, it's actually 13 or 14 years ago God brought us from the mission field back and uh, began working in our hearts uh, for his kids here. And so, like I said, about 10 years ago, we started working um, in foster care and adoption, and really... Um, God opened my eyes to a mission field I had never paid attention to, that I'd basically ignored. Uh, I felt called to go over there and to share the gospel over there. But uh, right here in our own backyards were kids uh, who desperately needed Jesus, who desperately need to hear the message. And so God uh, started us down working in that mission field and uh, worked for a couple of different Christian agencies. And then, as John shared, uh, about five years ago, God called a number of uh, folks together that had a heart to have a foster care and adoption agency that was uh, very much with Jesus in the center, and our focus is really in partnering with churches because, as I'll share as we go through this morning, uh, I've, so we have uh, thousands and thousands of kids in Texas and in across America, it's almost half a million kids uh, that don 't have moms and dads and that need loving homes, and as I began to awaken to this i, I the, my only thought was, well, the church is the answer. Uh, who is better equipped to share love and nurture for kids in need than the church and I was like, where's the church and it wasn't very. Widespread for churches to be involved in this field. And so uh, we started One Hope for Kids with a few other folks. It was originally called Four Kids of South Texas, and then we changed our name to One Hope for Kids. And um, really targeting churches and saying, hey, awaken body of Christ and let's get, uh, let's get our hands dirty and, and love these kids. And uh just found out actually uh, this week uh, God is so good, or maybe maybe a little over a week ago, we're now the largest foster care and adoption agency in San Antonio, uh, and it's just really awesome what God's done. So um, I thought maybe to, to just introduce you to our world a little bit more, because when I came back to the States uh, 13, 14 years ago, had no idea what foster care was, what is that world. For me, it was like this government thing that I didn't want to get involved with because it was the government and that kind of thing. But I want to tell you a story uh, about a little girl whose name is Sarah. Um, Sarah, her parents were in uh, Bernie, Texas. This was about, gosh, about five years ago. And Sarah There was a call to CPS, the child abuse hotline, that there was concern that this little girl was not being properly cared for by her parents, and so CPS, Child Protective Services, sent out an investigator, and when they went into the home, they found Sarah, actually, she's about one and a half years old. She was sitting in the living room and uh, on the floor, in between the sofa and the coffee table, and on the coffee table, Where There was drug paraphernalia. There were needles. uh, There was marijuana. And she was just laying there. She was filthy. She was actually sitting in her own feces. And the uh, investigators said, okay, this is an unsafe situation. And so they removed Sarah and took her away. Dad was actually nowhere to be found. And uh, mom was not fit to care for her. And so there was... uh, this was right as we were really at the very start of One Hope. And there was a family that were, uh, actually he's a minister of music and his wife. And they said, you know what? We feel God's calling us to do this. Uh, and I'm changing the names just to protect identities. And, um, but let's call them Tom and Carrie. And Tom and Carrie had said, you know what, we, we love our family, we have a family, they had a son, and they, they said, but we feel like God's called us to do more. And so they had gone through the rigorous process of becoming an approved family. And so uh, we called them and said, Sarah needs a home, would you take Sarah in? And so they took Sarah into their home and began loving and caring for her. And um, in... When a child's removed from its parents, CPS likes to try to keep the child and the birth parents connected. And they have this thing called visits where they go and they meet together. And for many years in foster care, there was a real solid line that separated birth parents from foster parents. Um, And as we started One Hope as a Christian ministry, we said we don't really feel that that's the ideal, that if it's safe and if it's... um, Appropriate that maybe the birth parent, uh, the foster parents could also not just care for the child, but be open to and minister to the birth parents. And so it visits, um, Carrie began to visit with the birth mom and share with her. And then Tom uh, found out that the birth father had been arrested and uh, incarcerated for drugs. And so he actually went and visited the father in prison, way above and beyond uh, than what we would expect from foster parents, but it's what he felt God called him to do. Started a visit with him. Carrie was uh, sharing with the mother, and Sarah started to really uh, come alive in their home, but I remember Carrie telling me one of the saddest things uh, that she remember was at the very beginning, so um, Sarah was probably by that time, maybe 19, 20 months old, old enough to sit and, and eat from a plate with a spoon, and she said that, uh, Carrie said, I noticed Sarah, uh, when, when she would see everybody's face looking somewhere else, she would take the spoon of food and actually try to start to put it behind her on her chair because it's what we call hoarding, because she was saving food, because she didn't know if she'd get a meal at the next mealtime. And already at less than two years old, she'd already learned that when meals come, it's not a guarantee that you're going to get another one next time, so I'm going to start stockpiling. And of course, Carrie went to and reassured her, you don't have to do that, honey. But um, it's just one of the scars that our kids get because actually the number one reason that children are removed uh, from their homes in our areas is because of neglect. It's not that the parents are beating the kids, but rather that the kids are being not cared for and not having their needs provided. So, uh, But as uh, Sarah lived in the home, she was uh, becoming more feeling safe and secure. Well, in Texas, when when parents have their children removed, they're given a year to fix what's wrong in their lives to be able to get their child back. And the goal is always what we call reunification. We would love that child to go back to the parents. We'd love the parents to change what's wrong in their home so they could get their kids back. And and Carrie was meeting with the mom and trying to get her on the right track, but it did not, uh, didn't really work well. And so, at the end of, as they were approaching the end of 12 months, um, and they, the mom and dad, dad was, he was incarcerated, then he'd bail out, then he'd get arrested again. But they, um, they saw that the year was coming to an end by this time. Sarah's two and a half, pushing closer to three. And um, the mother met at one of the visits. She met met with Carrie, and Carrie uh, was just being kind to her. And the mother said, listen, I want to ask you something. She said, uh, you're... You've been better to my daughter than I could ever be. You're the best thing that's ever happened in her life. And my life's not back together again. Would you be willing to adopt my daughter? And so Carrie said, well, I really want her to be with you. But if you feel that that's what's best, then yes, I would. And so, uh, oh, the other thing I forgot to share is Tom at about the eighth month or so, he, the father was back in prison. Tom had gone to visit him again, and uh, he actually was sharing, of course, sharing the Lord. And it, And Tom finally said, you know what, I can't do this on my own. And together, uh, not Tom, the birth dad, and Tom prayed, and the birth dad uh, asked Jesus into his life and gave his heart to the Lord. Uh, it's, it's like a Hallmark movie, but I didn't make it up, right? This is really what happened? And so both mom and dad uh, at the 11th month said, you know what, We're, we feel that Sarah would be better in your home. And so they did what we call relinquishment. So they signed away their rights to be parents. And Tom and Carrie adopted Sarah and have taken her into her home. She's a beautiful little girl. She's beautiful the whole time. But uh, the the neat thing is, is not only do they have Sarah as their daughter, but they have maintained contact with mom and dad. Uh, dad, they've kind of somewhat lost contact with. He's had his ups and downs. Mom, since then, has had two more children and has them and has not lost them because of, yeah, isn't that awesome? I think it's worth throwing <laughs> for She got to uh, keep her two kids because um, she's really come a long way in turning her life awa- around. She still gets to have contact with her daughter, Sarah, and just a, a beautiful story of how God used Tom and Carrie just because they were willing and said, this is something that we feel God has called us to do. Um, and, and like I said, when I first... Um, Came back to them, when we first came back to America. I, I thought nothing about foster kids. I didn't even realize what the need was, but there is a tremendous need. But as so, this year we've um, celebrated. I think we're about to celebrate this week our 60th adoption. Isn't that cool? Yeah. It's 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 not about it's not about numbers. It is about kids coming into homes where. Uh, they're safe and loved and where they're, I mean, we emphasize that it's a home where they'll also hear the gospel because we want those kids. That's for us. It's not just to save them for this world, but to save them for eternity. But as I have been working in this world, it's, it's something that you know as a believer. It's something that I know, but it's something that God has just made more and more clear is, you know, the whole Bible story is a story of adoption the whole stinking story is about adoption, right? Sorry, the whole awesome story. Sorry, whatever. <laughs> but um, I want to. I'm going to draw you to some scriptures to just see how, because God has so obviously just, um, just made this so crystal clear to me. But uh, Ephesians chapter one, verses four and five. I think they should be up there. Yeah. Um, just one of many, many verses in uh, the scriptures about. God's Heart of Adoption, it says, For he, or for God, chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us to be adopted, and that is the Greek word for adoption, as his sons and daughters through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. And that's just just one place where throughout the scriptures we see that this whole picture is that we were born into a very broken family with lots of brokenness that was passed down to us, but then lots of brokenness that we also brought upon ourselves. And our family was broken and we needed a saving family and that Savior gave his life so that We could be adopted into God's family. When we give our hearts to Jesus, it says we're adopted into a new family. We are now the children of God, and Jesus is our brother. And like I said, that's not anything you've not heard before. But really, if you think about all the way back to the Old Testament, all the way through, there's just story of again and again, redemption, redemption, redemption. One story we like to tell in our training class is the story of Esther, You guys may remember her. If you're ever having to read whole books of the Bible, start there. It's a real short one. That's what, you know, so I started there many years ago. I don't know. Uh, But the story of Esther, it says, it starts the story by saying Esther was an adopted child. She was adopted actually by her cousin Mordecai. And God uses this little girl of humble means and, and of a actually outcast race to be raised up to become the queen of the land that they were in in order to save the entire Israel nation. Uh, what a beautiful story of how God can use us no matter what our background is, but she was adopted. And there are, there's just so many stories in scripture about adoption. And again, as I think about my identity in Christ and the, 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 Amazing blessing that I have to walk together with God and to have the Holy Spirit inside of me guiding me is all because I was adopted I am adopted and you are adopted if you're a follower of Christ into his family and what's what's interesting is That it's not just Esther. It's not just a few verses that we can pluck out of some of the New Testament scriptures But uh, this whole theme of adoption and this theme of caring for the fatherless is in every single book of the Bible. So a good friend of mine, Jeff Harris, he's pastor of Grace Point Church over in the medical center. Jeff, uh, Katie and I used to attend church there before we found a real church. Just kidding. Uh, If Jeff was here, I would have made that same jab. So no, fantastic church. But... God actually partners uh, the minister, the foster agency I was with, with Jeff's church. Uh, this was almost 10 years ago. It was the first church that we really partnered with or we began partnership with. And as Jeff was preparing his message to share with his congregation, he said, I did a word search and I searched throughout the whole Bible, all the New Testaments. And he said, in all 66 books of the Bible, there is some Reference to God's heart for the fatherless, to God's heart for orphans. And it is, it is a huge part of his heart. And if we're followers of Christ, I don't think we should ignore that. So I wanna sh- I'm gonna hit you with, uh, when I wanna have five scriptures here, just kinda as um, samples of where God's heart for the fatherless comes through. The first one's in Psalm 68, Verses 5 and 6, it says, A father to the fatherless, a defender of widows, is God in his holy dwelling. God sets the lonely. You didn't tell me I was going to cry if I got up here. That's not fair, all right? He get, God sets the lonely in families. Deuteronomy 10 says, God executes justice for the orphan and the widow. He shows his love. For the alien by giving him food and clothes. Isaiah 1 17, learn to do good, seek justice, reprove the ruthless, defend the orphans, plead for the widow. Proverbs 23 10 and 11, do not move the ancient boundary or go into the field to the fatherless. For their Redeemer is strong. He will plead their case against you. And then Romans 8, 15. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again. You have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. Throughout God's word, it shows his heart for his kids. You know, Jesus in one place says that the the angels that watch over the kids have direct access to the father. His heart is for children, but it shows here clearly his heart is especially for the fatherless, for the orphan. And we have an orphan crisis in Texas. We have an orphan crisis in America. It's not just kids in Russia and Romania where I saw them, but it's kids here where there are boys and girls that don't have loving homes um, and they need them. And I'll, I'll give you some, some concrete numbers in a little bit, but it's uh, we don't have enough loving homes to care for these kids who need uh, loving moms and dads. As we, you know, when one thing I love about our church and so many other churches is that we don't believe, so when I was growing up, I went to the church for my fire insurance. Did you do that? So I went there so that when I went to hell, I'm going to went to hell. That's awesome. When I died, I wouldn't go to hell because I learned, you know, you say this prayer, you got your fire insurance, and now you can go about your way. You have your, and that's not what we believe here. We believe that it's about exchanging your life, right? It's taking my me being the Lord of my life and laying that down and saying, Jesus, I want you to be Lord. And with that comes salvation. With that comes a promise of eternity in paradise. But that's not the only reason I did. I, I gave my heart to Jesus for now, not for worrying about the later. I, I needed a savior in my life at the time. And God came and, and offered me salvation and gave me salvation And the scripture says very clearly that if we make that choice, then it should change our lifestyle. It's not just about a decision. It's about, am I going to truly be a follower? Am I going to be a disciple? And I want to turn your attention to Matthew chapter 25. Because uh, the, the other thing I love about this church is we're not about works. It's not about earning our salvation, i got to be good enough to get into heaven. Jesus did it. That's why I'm adopted. That's why I'm in the family. But there's also this parable and other parables that Jesus shared that we just can't overlook where it does say, hey, once I'm following, it should show up in my actions. And so you guys are probably familiar with what's called the parable of the sheep and the goats where at the end of time, God, Jesus called everybody in front of him and they're separated into the sheeps and the goats and he says to the sheep, you guys have done wonderful things. Come into paradise. And to the goats, he goes, you didn't do so well. It's not going to go well for you. I, I don't want to read the whole thing, but I want to pick up in chapter, 30, uh, chapter 25, verses 31, where it says, because Jesus has just said to the righteous, come into my rest. Come into paradise because of all the wonderful things that you've done. And they answer him, Lord, when did we see you, you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in? Or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, I truly, I I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. So being a Christian is not just something I believe It's something I live. It's something that I live out. And I'm not doing those things to get my salvation. But once I've been adopted into that family. And once I've received God's love. The way that the guy in the video earlier shared. uh, About. You know I I actually couldn't help thinking As he was telling us in the video. Adoption is almost like when you get baptized. We have this ceremony that's called consummation. When a child's finally Fully adopted into the family. We go before a judge, we go into the courthouse, and the judge judge declares these children now are have new moms and dads, and that's just the baptism is such a beautiful comparison for me uh, to the consummation that I get to see when these kids are adopted into these families. And because I've been accepted into that family, because I have God's love inside of me, because I have the Holy Spirit driving me that makes me want to do these wonderful things it's not a must it's a I get to and so as Jesus is calling the people before him and saying you guys have done great things he says whatever you've done to the least of these you've done unto me and when I was uh, leaving to go on the mission field, I felt very, very much that I was right where God wanted me to be and I was doing God's work. Um, But as I came back, I realized, at least at the time, I'd been blinded to this mission field in our very midst, uh, the least of these, uh, the kids in our backyards. And who better to share God's love with than a child that's been taken out of abuse and neglect? And who hasn't known what a father's love is supposed to truly be like. That hasn't known what a nurturing mother, what that love feels like. Then our kids. And, um, you know, really when you think about caring for orphans, if you think back over history, 200, 300, 400 years ago, who was it that cared for orphans? It was the church, wasn't it? And seems like the church somehow or another got pushed out or turned it over. Actually, uh, even in America, in the early centuries where America was getting established, it was the church that cared for orphans. There's actually, if you want to Google it, there's a photo of the first government foster child in the history of the United States. And that wasn't until 1874. A little girl named Mary Ellen Baker, 11 years old, in New York City tenement housing, who was found chained to a bed, starved, and beaten. And the government finally decided, you know what, this is not a good thing, and they, they stepped in and they, they took care of her, and that kind of opened the door for foster care. In America, and the first 75 years, from 1874 until 1950, uh, foster care had one system, and that was orphanages, where they would take kids and they'd put them in government housing with staff that cared for them. Do we still have orphanages today? What do y'all think? Really? Can you name one that has the word orphanage in it? Why not? Because it's a terrible concept. Kids should not grow up in an institution. They shouldn't grow up with staff members. They should grow up with moms and dads. That's what God intended. They should grow up with their original moms and dads, but if that doesn't work, then they need moms and dads to love and care for them. And uh, by, 18, by 1950, there had been so many deaths and broken bones and injuries in orphanages that the government said, you know what? We need to change something. And they changed the system where the emphasis was, can we find loving homes that will open up to take in a child or two and to love on them? And that was basically where the modern concept of foster care comes from. Is from the 1950 uh, Government Child Welfare Act. Um, but we've never had enough moms and dads to say yes to our kids. So therefore, we still have orphanages because we don't have places to put kids. Um, we don't call them that anymore. Some that I can name here that you would be maybe familiar with, the children's shelter, P- St. PJ's, uh, St. Jude's Ranch for Children, Roy Moss, George Gerwin House, uh, Hector Garza. There's, there's dozens. And yet still, we don't have enough homes for our kids in fact, today, seven children in our area will be taken away from their moms and dads. We have seven children removed a day in our area, and three of them will not be able to stay here, because 40 percent of our kids that are removed in Bear County cannot stay in Bear County because we don't have enough homes. That's including the orphanages. So they get sent all over. Now, here's the amazing part to me is that our government is reaching out to the church and saying, help. There is in Austin, in the Department of Family and Protective Services, which is the government agency that oversees all things child welfare, there is an office called the Faith-Based Office where they're reaching out to churches And they're saying, would you help us find good, loving homes? And they're saying, if you'll take kids into your home, we will not restrict you from sharing God's love with them. Katie was a high school teacher for 10 years. She wasn't allowed to say the word God in her classroom. No problem, she teaches German. She just said Gott. (laughs) (laughs) But in a high school... Public high school, right around the corner from here, you're not allowed to say God's name because it's a government institution. And yet the state of Texas says, if you take foster children into your home, you can raise them the same way you raise your own children. You can buy them Bibles. You can pray with them. You can take them to church. You can send them to children's camp. You can do everything with them you would do with any other child in your home. There's only two rules that kind of oversee that. Number one, you're not allowed to force them to believe what you believe. My answer to that is try that with your birth kids. (laughs) Not a good idea, period. And secondly, if they have a faith from their family that they bring into your home, you have to honor that. You have to respect what their faith is. But our experience is that probably 90% or more of the kids that come into foster care have no faith. They're unchurched. It's not like they're bringing something else in there. It's, uh, we have parents that are literally like, what is this church thing that they're taking my kids to? And so the, the doors are wide open where the government is saying, hey, church, take kids that have been abused and neglected, take them into your home, disciple them, share God's love with them. We won't stop you, and we'll pay you to do it. And we don't have enough Family saying yes. Because if you take foster kids in, you get a monthly, it's called a reimbursement. It's a, a, not a lot of money, but some money to help cover the costs. So um, can we throw up that statistic slide there just because uh, I know my time's about up. But just to kind of give you a little bit of a picture of the state of Texas, we had almost half a million calls to the child abuse hotline in 2018. And out of those calls, they're investigated, and those that were confirmed, we had 40,120 times where in Texas, the government, because those are the ones that were called in, right, where the government says these children have been truly abused or neglected so severely that their primary needs are not being met. And yet, even though 40,000 times it was confirmed, only half the time did they take the children away from the parents. It wasn't bad enough half the time. And so 20,685 times they took the children away from their parents. And uh, at pretty much any given time in Texas, we have roughly 30,000 kids in care. Out of those 30,000 kids in care, if you were approved for adoption today, if you'd been licensed for adoption, there are 7,788 I could put in your home today. We have, and that's actually low. It normally hovers around 10,000, so we're grateful that it's down to a little under 8,000 that uh, are today looking for forever moms and dads. Then we have kids that turn 18. When you're 18, you're not a child anymore and you age out. The statistics on kids that age out of foster care are horrendous. Uh, Within two years, over 50% of the boys will already be back in care. It's just called prison, not foster care. So half our aged out boys are incarcerated within two years. Of the girls that turn 18, 70% are either pregnant or have already had a child, and we see the cycle repeat. And so I absolutely do not believe that we all as Christians are called to be foster parents. I don't believe that. Some of you need to work on your own kids, right? I'm just saying that from personal experience. just because you have a fish on your car doesn't mean you drive like Jesus wants you to all the time either. And so I believe the call to be a foster parent is a calling. It's a very, um, it's a very challenging call to raise these kids, uh, but you don't have to foster to help out these kids. There's other ways you can serve. You can, uh, so the average length of time that a foster family in Texas does foster care is one year. Because it's very demanding and they quit because they're worn out. Because you're having to take your kid to visits. You're having to take him to court. You've got extra doctor's visits. You have people making sure you're, you know, watching over you and things like that. It's very arduous. And so one of the biggest things that you could do is babysit. Because if if I have a foster child in my home, I can't ask one of the kids from the youth group or the girl down the street to babysit my child. If I just want to go out with Katie to dinner and a movie, I have to have somebody who's had an FBI fingerprinted background check, CPR, and I don't know, they give a quart of blood that they just leave, no, I'm kidding, but there's, but you have to have this, you know, two-week-long extensive background check. You have to have CPR. You probably need to have some training on how to care for these kids. And so if you do nothing else but say, I'll become an approved babysitter so foster families can have a break, then you are serving these kids. And there's, there's other ways to serve. It's back out at our table, there's a whole ways that you can volunteer. Sorry, I went a little long, John. Um, but... Some of you may be being called to foster. Some of you may be pull pulling on your heartstrings and saying, maybe this is something you could do. And if you are and you're in this church, then it's our belief that this church family should be your support and that they should raise up around you and say, how can we, you want a babysitter? How? I can transport. I can take a child to a court that you can't go to, or I can do these other things. Um, There are ways that we can love and care for families in our congregation that say yes. And so um, that's my plea to to us as a congregation is simply ask, Lord, what are you calling us to do? I I don't know of us having any foster families in the congregation right now, but there may be some that God's calling uh, and there may be some that God's bringing that we can wrap around and support. And with that, I say Come, Holy Spirit, with John.
0: (laughs) Thanks, John. There were a couple of moments where God got your heartstrings. And um, can you put words to that for just a second? I don't like watching you cry.
1: That's all right. It's um, I'm so blessed and honored that I get to be that I get to serve God in caring for those kids because they're so precious and they they need His love and. I get to be part of sharing that love with them. That's really more than anything. It's just I'm humbled that I even get to do this.
0: So there, there are a couple.